Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's an exciting time. This is the last Sunday of the year. Amen. A lot of us, a lot of us ready for this to be the last Sunday, amen? It's been a long year. It's been a long year. This is 2020 part two, amen? This is, it keeps going. The fatigue and the time and all those things. God has been good to us though. I want us to look real quick at, um, I want you to remember the song, Oh Holy Night. Uh, I don't have time to get into the history of it, but Oh Holy Night is a a song that was translated from French, and uh, it was actually used as an abolitionist song. And uh, the song, because if, uh, if, you, if you know, there's one part that actually says, the slave is our brother. But it gets changed, and it talks about a child uh, being our brother. A- anyway, but I want you to focus in on one part there. Uh, when you hear about, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's The night of our Savior's birth, long lay the world in sin and error error pining. I know y'all use the word pining quite often. Till he appears and the soul felt its worth. And then I want you to feel what, what uh, what the author is trying to say. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And I just want you to just, I just, there's a lot we could talk about there, but I just want to pause for a second And talk about that contradiction of a weary world rejoicing. Um, Unfortunately, I know you've all come to hear a sermon. This sermon is not for everybody. Amen. Um, This sermon is only for a few select people. So if this sermon is not for you, you can take notes for someone else. Uh, There's a recording. You can uh, check your phone. This sermon is only for people that are tired. So this, I know, I know that, that you, this is the part of the year where you're bubbling over with energy and uh, you want more. You want another month. You want another month. You're asking God to add uh, month 13, praise God. But, but this, ser- so if that's you, I'm sorry. I apologize now. But this sermon is only for people that are worn out and fatigued and going to disappoint somebody else. This sermon is not how to have better rest. Okay. This is not three tips on not how not to get tired because you've already heard sermons like that. You've listened to Ted talks and you've read books and you're still tired. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to act like this is not a better help, you know, next step Ted talk on getting better and how not to be tired. I just want to talk about being tired and still giving God your best. Because every year we come to this point where we do best practices, and yet even in our best practices, we are still fatigued. And I think that it's important that we understand the dynamics of how we get to this place of being socially, emotionally, physically, and spiritually tired. That's all I want to talk about. Several of the things that I think make us weary and and fatigued, uh, I'll say four things, and I'm sure there are other lists out there, but I believe there are expectations, adjustments, shock, and the enemy. Expectations, adjustments, 
shock and the enemy. There are expectations of you from you on yourself that have worn you out by the end of the year. Things you thought you would be, things you thought you would do, where you thought you would be, what you thought you would be making, who you thought you'd be with. All those things have put you in a position where you have less energy than you did at the beginning of the year. But it's not just expectations on you from you, it's expectations of other people. Expectations people have of you. So it's not only what you thought of yourself, it's what people have thought of you of how you possibly let people down or how people thought you would show up and you couldn't show up in your full self or you just couldn't be what they assigned you to, the role they had you play. The other thing are adjustments. You see, when you make a plan at the beginning of the year, we have a hard time planning for fatigue. It just, we don't, we, we like, I'm going to do all these new things. And then we're like, I can't do that. I don't know what I was thinking. Because one of the things that we don't realize is that there's a thing called decision fatigue. That is, you get to the point where you just can't keep making those small adjustments throughout the year. And, and a lot of times it's not big adjustments. Many times it's small adjustments accumulated over the year. I'll give you an example. My wife and I, we said, this is our budget in the name of Jesus. We came off the mountain, the golden tablets of our budget with smoke filled the room. We were like, this is our budget, thus saith the Lord. And yet, and yet, my kids, my kids, we, we set up Apple Pay on their phone so that they can just ask for money quick, right? And they don't ask their mom because she is judo with it. She's just like, absolutely not. And, and, I, and I'm weak. I'm weak. And they, and, 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 and they know it. So, so, so the budget comes down from the mountain uh, of, the, of, of, of Mount Budget. And we come down and, and we have the golden tablets. And then my daughter asked me for $3. And, I, and, you know, I said, yes. And then my wife, she rebuked me. And then so I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then, and then she said, well, and then, and then she said, well, how about $1? And I'm like, it's just $1. But now I'm going through my head, so do I want to bless my daughter or do I want this $1 rebuke from my wife? <laughs> and it's, it's little moments like that accumulated over the years that you just don't feel like thinking and processing that much anymore. Things you planned, things you had to adjust to. But then there's shock. Uh, this was a whole nother category. There, there were health issues that you, you just didn't plan for. There were deaths that you just didn't see happening. There were people who weren't the people you thought they were. And, 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 and it puts you in a position to be shocked. And, and shock is not just adjusting. Shock is grieving. So, so now I, I, I've got to think about this thing. I've got to really wrestle with what I thought life was going to be. And, and, and so we get to this place of giving everything and then the, the Bible calls him the accuser. He pulls up. And we say things like, I'm giving all, I'm giving my all. 
But Satan, he comes and goes, that's all? That's all? And there's, there's, there's this inner critic that you start, that starts beating you up and say, I should be. I thought I'd be. I wish I could be. But I'm not. This is all that I've got now. And the enemy begins to hold up all those notes, all those goals, all those dreams, all those budgets, and all those plans. And he uses them to accuse you of being an imposter, of not nearly being who you thought you'd be. And with all those things accumulated, there's this ambient anxiety, a a, a feeling that doesn't go away, that I'm not enough, that I'm not performing to the standard that I thought. And you get towards the end of the year, and you're tired. And we're tired. And I want to minister to the tired people in the room. For everybody else, just take notes. But this is just for the people that have experienced expectations, adjustments, shock, and you've had to battle the enemy. I want to preach from the perspective, obviously, of the birth of Jesus, but I want to preach from the perspective of Joseph, the father of Jesus, and as his stepfather, I don't know. But um, (laughs) he was around. Then he was gone, and so praise the Lord. But um, he was there when he was born, and that's enough. <laughs> but Joseph, um, when, you, when, you, when you consider theologically the lineage of Joseph, the father of Jesus, lineage-wise, he should have been the king of Israel. But because of Roman oppression, he is nothing more than a Jewish carpenter. And so uh, the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus was his firstborn son, not his firstborn. So most likely he already has daughters. This is a man who has a daughter or more daughters. And... Before he has this child, before he has this son, the Bible tells us that he met up with this woman named Mary. Now, what we understand is that this was most likely an arranged marriage. So as arranged marriages go, you don't really know the person that well. And the Bible tells us that as he's considering marriage to this woman, he discovers something about her, that she's pregnant. And the scriptures tell us in in Matthew chapter 1, verses uh, 19 through 21, it says, Her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to to divorce her quietly. There's not enough that we've put into the fact that this man, the key word is resolved. And the part of that is quietly. 
So much of divorce at that time was an atmosphere of shame. So he, did, he wasn't wrestling with whether he should divorce her or not. He was just wrestling with if he was going to put her on blast or not. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to quietly not tell people that you were with someone else and not me. So he resolves this. But as he, verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I've never seen an angel, but I could imagine that seeing an angel tell you to not only marry the woman you were about to divorce, but also father the child you didn't have must be not only shocking, but revelatory in the fact that I am now going to be a part of shepherding the son of God. And an angel came to me and showed me this. How much in his mind did he think this moment was going to be angelic? I'm sure in his brain he planned as a carpenter to make a nice little uh, 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 crib for the baby. I'm sure in his mind he imagined angels coming down, a worship set, I'm sure in his mind he thought, if I'm going to father the son of God, this is going to be the most angelic, creative, dynamic birth. I'm sure his plans were this is going to be a great moment in my life. And yet, as we know the story goes, all his plans change. The scriptures tell us in in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through Five, I wonder, do we have it up here? Yeah, let's, let's read that together. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It starts off in saying, in those days, we'll start there on three. One, two, three. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first when what happened? Is 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 it Corinthus? That's the that's the struggle. Okay, let's let's all start at verse four. Let's you know what? Let's do first five five together. One two three. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. It's the last Sunday of the year, y'all. We didn't done this every Sunday. We ain't never messed it up. It's the last. We are tired. Amen. We are tired. Amen. So so the the key word that I want you to to see repeated in there is the word registered. Registered. Okay. Caesar says, I want the world to be registered. And 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 here's the indication that this was a problem for Joseph. It says, because this was the first registration where... Quirinius was governor of Syria. Historians tell us that 
registration was for only one reason, taxation. It was so that I could count up how many kids you have, how much you own, and how much more I should tax you. And so this was part of the oppressive nature that they would have there. There was a good part of taxes, but the Romans would lean in on taxes even more. You would dare not, you would never not consider going to be registered. At the time, Roman persecution was at an all-time high. You think about the crucifix of Jesus, and you think shock and horror. Little do we know that there were averaging 500 crucifixions a day. Anyone attempting to flee the city and captured would be crucified. And so we know that Jerusalem is the city of David. It's the land of the Jews. And yet again, Roman oppression had taken over. A decree going out would mean a town crier would come and make an announcement from the governor that there is a legislation or there's a victory that is won. And so this town crier would have come into Nazareth and would have shouted that all must be registered at a certain time. I can imagine Joseph is there making a crib for the baby. I can imagine he's planning what it's going to be like in the room for the baby. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a town crier comes and says, Oh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to travel to your hometown. And his hometown was 85 miles away. And for them, that would have been a week's long journey on foot with a woman that's pregnant. How much shock do you think he experienced? How much confusion did he think you think he had where he's like, if, Lord, if you want me to have this baby, why can't we just have it in a bed? Why can't we just not be traveling? I thought, I thought you were giving me something to bless me. But it seems like it comes in a package of trial. I thought having the son of God would be something angelic. I thought I was being exalted. This feels harder. But also remember this. Remember when he said he wanted to divorce her quietly. One thing you don't want to do is have a baby out of wedlock and be around family. Amen. That's not that's what you don't want to do. That's not what you want. So. His whole quietly thing that he was trying didn't work out because he has to be around not some family, all of his lineage and most likely has to travel with many of them. And so here, an 85 mile journey, a wife that you've now decided to accept and love, a child you're ready to see be born but none of the plans you've made are working. None of the dream you thought you'd have is coming to fruition. And the scripture says in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. In verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. Well, the time came, the scripture says, meaning that there was no longer that she could hold the baby. And this idea of no room in the inn, this was a guest room in a family home. Remember that all the family would have been there because of the registration. And who would have been the last to come? The woman that was pregnant. It took them more time. They couldn't get there in the same amount of time as everyone else. And because of the way that hospitality worked, you would honor people not only just for being there, but you would honor your family. So the family has to consider not rejecting other people who had been there first. So they say to themselves, there is area for you to stay. And in like most homes at that time, there was an area where there were guest rooms and then there was something like a stable. There was an area for the animals. And they said to themselves, well, Mary, I know you're pregnant, but you're going to have to be where the animals are. Can you imagine what goes through the mind of Joseph as he now walks into this stable the stench of all these different animals in there. The feeling he must have had, the disappointment, the shock in his mind. How am I having the son of God in a stable? This is not working out the way that I thought. They have the baby. They wrap him in clothes. I can only imagine after an 85-mile journey, Mary is exhausted, Joseph's exhausted. I can only imagine after an 85-mile journey and then having a baby, they are tired. And then they're holding the baby, and they say to themselves, "What?" what? Mary's like, I can't hold on to this boy anymore. And Joseph's getting tired. So they say, well, you know what? There's a manger over there. The word manger in Latin, it comes from a Latin root meaning to chew. It is nothing but a trough for animals to eat food out of. How disappointed, how confused, and how much doubt do you think Joseph had in his mind that this was really the son of God as I lay him in a bowl for food for animals. How much confusion do you think he had when he had an angel come with such an angelic dream and yet a manger scene? How much disappointment and how much shock? Roman oppression, 85 miles, baby in a manger. Nothing is working out the way that they thought it would. Joseph is a lot like us. We don't hear the words. There's not a moment where Joseph, we hear Joseph saying, hey, Jesus, I I didn't think this was going to be this way. One of the things that I've learned about people 
One of the things I've learned about myself is that when you are tired and you are just worn out, I've sat with people and tell, said, how, tell me how you're doing. And they're so tired they can't even explain the depths of disappointment in their soul. There's a scripture in, in 1 Samuel 30. We're not going to look there. 1 Samuel 30, David, it says that many of the families amongst Israel were captured by the Philistines. And it says in 1 Samuel 30 that the men of the mighty men with David cried out to God till they couldn't cry anymore. And sometimes there's a stillness that we get from confusion. A quietness that comes when we don't have anything else to say. Well, the scriptures don't tell us how he felt, but the manger scene is amazing in and of itself. And then Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 reads this way. In the same region, the shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, these are the shepherds, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And then in verse 12, it reads this way. This will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And I find so much encouragement from that verse. The angels came and told Joseph, you are going to have a baby. And that all of a sudden, these angels come and they tell these shepherds, you are going to find this baby in a manger. The manger was the sign that they would find the son of God. The manger was the place that God wanted his son sent. A manger there in Bethlehem. Not a well-curated crib from a carpenter. Not a bed created for the Son of God. But a lonely, lowly manger in a stable at the time of the registration. The angels say, this is exactly where God wanted you to be. And I am sure for Joseph... This was all he could give, and God knew it. The manger is the place where God met him in his great fatigue. I get so much encouragement that it was a manger. Because I can only imagine Joseph 
thought this was the worst situation, and yet it was the sign you're doing everything God had intended you to do. I serve a God that understands my frailty. I serve a God that understands my goals. He understands my energy. He understands my dreams. And he understands my plans. And I serve a God that knows that when I have the dream of making a beautiful crib and can only give him a manger. I serve a God that says that's the sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gave all that you could. Wow. I want you to know that best looks different for everybody and best looks different in different days and best looks different in different seasons. God knows when you're giving your best. I want you to know that we serve a God that knows if you're giving your best. And best looks different for me and it looks different for you. And best looks different on Monday than it does on Tuesday. And it looks different on Wednesday than it does on Thursday. Best is very, I mean, best, best is creative. But God knows when you're giving your best. And I can imagine that God understood that the same Joseph that said, no, 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 I'm going to divorce her quietly. Oh, an angel told me not to have her? Okay. The same, the same, the same Joseph that said, oh, I got to go do this registration? Oh, I'll go. Because this is what I believe about Joseph. He honored God with everything he could do. He honored God with everything he could do. And I want you to understand that we have to restructure, especially in this day and age, we have to restructure the way that we look at us and God as, instead of looking at you and other people. Because you cannot give what the other person next to you can give. God chose a broken man to father a holy son. God chose a condition where he wanted to be at the lowest state. And I can only imagine Joseph going, is this what you wanted? And he wanted his best. And I just want you to know that some of you are coming in the finish line in December and you're like, I, I don't have much. And he knew you would not have much. But he wants you to give everything you've got left. And he does not want you to allow the enemy to make you feel less. Because my, my God was born in a manger. He understands what it means to be in the lowest of states. And this same Jesus, years later, in Matthew 6, would say this. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day it is its own troubles. Understand when in verse 32, when it says the Gentiles seek after these things, understand that Gentiles served God. They just served the wrong God. They, they had pagan gods. There was Jupiter, the king of sky and thunder, Zeus, god of justice and sky, Baal, worship for crops, Aphrodite, worship for sexual pleasure. And what they would do for those gods is they would try to get those gods' attentions and saying, would you see the work that I'm doing? In other words, they're saying you're scurrying around trying to get the attention of their pagan god. In other words, what they were saying is to this god that they're looking after, do you know I need crops? Do you know I want a child? Do you know I need help? And so you would have to scurry about trying to get the attention of a pagan God. But he's saying, no, 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 not this God is different. He's a father and he knows. And so what if we serve a God that knows? God knows the expectations you have of yourself. God knows your story. He understands the pressure you've put on yourself. He understands the family you come from. He understands the moments of doubts that you've had. And he understands the expectations from other people. He knows. What if God knows about all those adjustments and decisions you've had to make to the point where you don't feel like making another decision? He knows. He knows about the shock and the grief of people and places and things that have completely erupted in your soul and confused you. He knows. And he knows about the enemy that has sat there and accused you of saying that you are not enough. He knows. He knows your manger-like situation where you feel like you've given all that you can. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Think, listen now, listen. I want you to restructure the way that you think about your life. You see, this is what Jesus says at the end. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And what Jesus says there is, the key to life is having the right priority you're aiming towards. Not succumbing to the need of having progress, but having the right priorities. You see, some people are having progress in the wrong direction. Progress does not define a great life. Priorities do. You can have the right priorities, but you haven't moved much in those in progress for years, but you've got the right priorities. You're believing the right things. And he's saying, if you prioritize the kingdom of God, everything will be added unto you. Putting God above all else. So Joseph says, Lord, if you want me to go to Bethlehem, I'll go. If you want me to father this child, I'll father them. If you want me to put this child in a manger, I'll do it. It don't make sense, but I'll do it. And the angel says, that's it. The baby's in a manger. That's it. The baby's in a manger. That's it. 
The baby, see that baby? She, she's in a manger. That's it. I, I wanted the baby in a manger. A manger? A manger. That's it. I thought the baby would be, no, 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 no. I want that baby in a manger. Because you did everything following me. Even though you feel, even though you're in a stable, you're in a manger, even though it doesn't feel like progress is priorities. And when you put priority of God over temporal progress, he'll give you peace. And that's the gift. He says these things will be given to you. This Christmas, I want you to just think at the end of this year, I want you to think not just of your goals and your dreams. Think of what was the basis of all those things. What did you put first? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and your care. And we ask that we would put you first above all things. In our lowest of moments, in our greatest level of fatigue, Father, we pray that you would carry us into the next season. Carry us, God. And allow us to evaluate our lives under the vision of Matthew 6, that I would seek you first. And you'll give me a gift this Christmas. You'll give me your peace, your joy over any amount of progress. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.